0: The Raw Rugby Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Raw Rugby Podcast. I'm Brett McKay. We're here for a very special rugby chat thanks to the raw.com.au, Australia's biggest sporting debate. You're home for the biggest and best rugby discussion kicking me around. As always, don't forget to leave us a question or an issue that you want us to tackle under the new episode page every Wednesday on the Raw or hit us up on the socials or, or wherever you can get your podcasts. Um, and joining me for this very special chat is my learned offsider and co host, Harry Jones. Hello, mate. How are we going?
1: How's it, Brett? I'm happy to see you, my man. Uh, I got my coffee this morning and it looks like I'm inheriting your disease the person put uh, my name as harry with one r <laughs> and a little a little heart it's, over the i i know you're you trouble with your coffee yeah. it's
0: a it's a whole thing for me anyone who follows me on twitter would know that uh, me and coffee is just a is just a whole thing but nevertheless we're not here to talk about coffee cups we are here for a very special episode uh, on the pod harry and tell us why that is
1: yeah, I don't get excited very easily, but I'm very excited this time. <laughs> uh, I'm chuffed. We, we chuffed because we have a real champion on our pod. Uh, this is someone that actually everyone who follows rugby knows immediately. You're going to wonder, now why? Is it a player? Is it a coach? It's actually, you know, maybe it's timely. It's a referee. One of the great referees of all time. Jonathan Isaac Kaplan. Well known as Africa, well known abroad, well known in Six Nations. I think he refed more Bledisloe's than anyone else, uh, and he agreed to be on our pod. He's agreed to be with us, with us through the year from time to time, and we chat about things that matter. Uh, but we got this incredible referee to be on our pod. Brett and I had a wonderful conversation with him where we just talked about everything. Uh, you'll feel his personality—how calm and cool, and funny—and and authoritative, he is. And uh, so we're happy to, to have you listen. Here's our chat with Jonathan Kaplan
0: Rugby on the Roar. It's our absolute honor to welcome to the Roar Rugby Podcast former leading international referee, Jonathan Kaplan.
2: Jonathan, thanks for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me. Um, never been on the Roar before. <laughs> well, look. Let me tell you. Cheers, cheers but featured... the first time
0: I'm
1: very happy to see a referee. I have to say,
0: <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. You you yeah. won't be surprised, Jonathan, to learn that you have featured on the Raw somewhat a lot over the last ten
2: or fifteen years. Oh yeah, no, I've got no doubts. <laughs> and, you... and happy and happy to touch on that, or so, you know, if that comes along in the discussion as well. So you refereed at the top level uh, between 1996
0: and 2013. It was a record 70 tests at the time. Uh, your record is quite incredible. Four Rugby World Cups, the most Bledisloe Cup games, the most Six Nations games, four British and Irish Lions tours. Uh, you're the only referee to take charge in all three host nations. Three Super Rugby finals, five Curry Cup finals. It's 300, 350 games. Um, we've got a few decisions we want to clarify, so we're just going to go through them game by game. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're not going to do that to you. But I am wondering, of those 300-odd games... Do you have any that still sit fondly in the memory? You know, a decade on from when you finished up.
2: Yeah, so I think I think Wiki- Wikipedia is probably a bit um, dated because I-, I ended up on four twenty five. Oh, there you go. Um, you go. yeah, yeah. No, that's it's all good. Um, I've got a mind for useless stats. I've got I've got these stats that you would never dream of. Uh, who my assessor was, and you know what were the points that they mentioned, so I could grow into my role. Um, but but you ask, you know. I'm still going, I'm into my 39th season and I'm hoping to, my legs are getting a bit stale, but I'm hoping to get to 50 eventually. Um, or, or, when when I, and, I, and I'm obviously, I'm just doing it for the fun of it now. But um, I think in my time, I always said that like Cup games were the, were the best type of rugby to, to referee. Um, you know, I, it was the I, I enjoyed a quicker game and then quickening it up and Australia, New Zealand could provide me that platform. And so Bledisloe Cup, I mean, the skill level was high, the conditioning was great. Uh, players knew each other, coaches knew what, what each other was going to do. And in my, in my time, uh, it was certainly the early part of it, um, Australia were very competitive. I mean, I'm thinking maybe your audience would like to have me back for a few bledders like Cups now that they haven't won <laughs> one for about 17 years.
0: <laughs> oh, look, Jonathan, we're, we're running out of time. I'm sorry. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, so the ones, the ones for, 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 I suppose, from an Australian audience perspective, my, one of my greatest tests was my seventh test between um, New Zealand, Australia at the Cakedon. It came directly after that game played in heaven where uh, the All Blacks were up 24-0. Australia came back and then Lomu scored uh, right at the death to win the test. And I think there was something like 10 tries or something in the game. Yeah. It was a phenomenal high-paced game of rugby and, and, and you know, a lot of maybe porous defense. I mean, if you score 24 points in seven minutes, um, you know, you've got pre- pretty much some answers to, you know, some questions to answer. But, you know, I had the test a couple of weeks later and they kept asking me, you know, I hadn't done much. And I was just sort of looking to get a foothold for myself. And they said, um, you know, what about this test? You know, it's just come off to that one. And I said, well, there's no reason why this can't be better. And, and it's not going to be remembered as a better test. Although the losing coach, Wayne Smith, on the back page of the New Zealand paper said it was better. Um, and that was the game where Eels kicked the last second uh, penalty to win it, yeah and keep the number one in the world, Bledisloe Cup, and Tri Nations champions.
0: Yeah, so that's two thousand and two, wasn't two thousand one, two thousand two, two thousand one, yeah, two thousand one, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, fin, fin. Were there were there players in the middle of all that that were difficult to manage or, or referee? Yeah, you know, like David Pocock seemed to mystify referees. Uh, Richie McCaw. Uh, we we sometimes refer to him having a cloak of, cloak of invisibility because no no one saw what he was doing. Uh, yeah. Was there was was there was there players that were difficult?
2: Um, yeah, but not those two for me. Yeah, I, right. I thought yeah. da- I thought David Pocock was one of the best. I, I know he was hard on the ball, and I'd never discourage that because I think that's 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 a tactic that served Australia well and all the teams he played in. Um. And he gave away a couple, but he won a lot more than he gave away. So I actually enjoyed him. I thought he was a a standout leader, like a, a top class bloke. And I remember I refed a game in uh, New Zealand in Christchurch, and I I don't know, I just I don't think I pushed all the right buttons. And he still had, he still came over to me. He had this thing every single game. He used to come over and shake the referee's hand at the end of the game. Yeah. So I mean, that's that's maybe not well publicised, but uh, you know, I don't know the man really well, but I think for me that's always a mark of somebody who can detach themselves from the emotion, even though it means a lot to them. And for some reason, Richie, I mean, he knew where to push me, but once I drew a line in the sand, I I was like pretty liberal. I was quite firm, but pretty liberal and empathetic with the players when I was reffing. I I mean, I was known as sort of a, a player's type of referee, like not, I wasn't reffing for somebody in the stands. I wasn't trying to make a statement ever. You know, I made, I made my share of mistakes, but generally I made them on the side of the players so I, I I did a lot of work on Richie. I did I, I actually, you know, a lot of the material that came out in the press, I knew where it was coming from. But he did used to push the boundaries, and and he used to push them till he got away with it. Mm. And they had profiles, they had profiles of the referee, so they oh, knew how course. hard they could they knew how hard they could push. Um, for some reason, with me, I don't believe he 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 kept pushing, but he didn't push beyond the, the boundaries. I re, I really never had to, you know to was, was, was sit him down, but I never I never had to uh yeah. I mean that's the truth. I never had to sit him down.
1: <laughs> yeah Jonathan, I was wondering, you know, I I Brett cannot know this, but I'm sure that the high school games in South Africa were actually the most difficult matches to ref. Um <laughs> I know for me, um you know at the provincial level I was actually sent off at a, at a Paul Ruiz, and I I snuck back on in the second half. <laughs> so the referee caught me. Uh but I mean the 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 level of uh physicality in some of those matches, Curry Cup very difficult to referee uh, and I imagine that's it's also you know, the, the fans are right on top of you like in newlands so I know that you wrote a book called call it like it is um, did you ever get any gaff or you know serious back chat from uh, the fans or did you ever feel like you know it really was kind of a cauldron and, and you felt like everyone was kind of you know screaming for your head or was it or did you actually have a pretty good time of it with all the, the fans
2: generally pretty good time you know there's, there's certain stadiums that are that are right on top of the ref in South Africa, the one in Durban, the one in Cape Town. doesn't matter what the sponsors' names are now, but those are the two ones which, you know, they're right on top of the field. So you can feel, you can hear the audience. One holds about, we used to hold about 50 odd thousand. The other one holds about 72,000. I think in Australia, Canberra, not because it was right on top, but the crowd could be quite feral. I mean, they, they could get a bit of a, I don't know if they came from like a rugby league background, but they used to, you know, they used to uh, be able to have a go, go at the ref, but it, I used to, I used to hear it, but it was like this noise. I, I, I never really cared about it and I had enough self-image not to worry what people thought of me. So it didn't really matter to me. So
0: you're, um, you're, you're based in, in North America now, you're overseeing referees in in major league
2: rugby what's a day in the life of Jonathan Kaplan these days Um, so my greatest achievement has got nothing to do with what happened in rugby I at the age of 47 I hadn't really settled down and I decided to have three kids through surrogacy well I didn't decide to have three I decided to have one followed by another one the second batch was twins so I've got three little children, <laughs> um, and I'm looking after because they're a surrogate babies, so they don't have a mom. So I'm looking after them as a single parent. And obviously, I've got help, but it is a challenge and very draining. Um, I've done a lot of endurance events in my time, but this is really something that's—it's um, not easy to recover from. So a day in the life has to—you know—my rugby life has to factor in my private life, which is which is a challenge. But I've I've got an I've got a very nice role in Major League Rugby where um, I've been tasked with sourcing, uh, developing, training, mentoring, coaching, plus all the admin that I have to do in and around the the league. Um, all these referees from North America, and then uh, importing a few That's because you know if if the locals aren't, aren't quite up to it yet, to try and make sure that at least the league is functioning at the best you know at its best. what does my day look like the weekend I've got to watch six games at the moment it's between five and six it's quite a challenge I mean I don't really like rugby but but to watch five or six games every weekend is it can be challenging. <laughs> I do about three reviews sometimes four every weekend and then I put together um, educationals during the week um, and we've got a number of facets that we cater for so one of them is we've got a scrum coach. I don't know if you know, you have heard of Mike Cron, but he's he's in essence the all-black um, mm, yeah, coach and he now, now works for World Rugby, so we're very lucky to have him. So he comes on a Tuesday night, he speaks to the teams. They have really appreciated, it. And, and I think it was, I mean, it, it was my idea, but I, it was more of a master tro- master stroke than I actually planned for because there's a lot of respect for his views. And then it's not about trying to outdo another opponent on the field with something illegal because he's bringing everything up on the course. Yeah. so then it's a, then it's about catering for um, for the challenge of improvement rather than trying to hoodwink the ref. So I think he's done a great job. Um, I do TMO, I do uh, Tech Zone, which is which is quite bizarre that we do those appointments. But anyway, um, it, it does form an important part of the game, as you've seen from actually from um, from some Six Nations games lately, where you know if you don't get it right, teams play with thirteen players again and should be playing with. Oh, sorry, fourteen. They should be playing with thirteen, and and it mm. does potentially impact. And then I've got um, assistant referees that I've got to train as well. So it's it's quite it's quite broad. I find Zooms, you know, Zoom meetings. It's probably the best available at the moment. And America is a big country, but it's it's not ideal. Yeah. Um, I think travel travel and look, looking someone in the eye. I, I I don't really think that's even old school. I think that's that's just the way I am. I think that's that's a better way of getting messages across.
0: It's certainly got to be a better way of building relationships with your, you know, with your refereeing stocks. If you can actually sit down, have a chat with them, have a cup of coffee with them, have a beer with them, if you need to, it's, it's, it's got to be a better
2: way of fostering relationships than Zoom, surely. Yeah, but they're all over the place. You know, we've got two in, two in Austin, one in Dallas, um, one in LA, one in New York, uh, one in Atlanta, one in uh, Vancouver, one in it, they're all over the yeah, place that, that's, yeah, a, that's a massive yeah. distance Yeah. so to get all of them together um, we do it like a pre-season which got cancelled this year because last year never never even happened this year we said okay we'll do it we'll have a nice one in Vegas I rocked up in Vegas and the next thing everyone was pulling out at the last minute because of COVID um, concerns so I ended up for a couple of days in Vegas which you know could be worse <laughs> or, or <what> <laughs> yeah
1: yeah, so when I want to ask you, Jonathan. It sounds like single-dadding three. Uh, I think you're a long-distance cyclist. Uh, you chose to be a referee from when you were young. I mean, you seem to be attracted to very difficult uh, jobs, and uh, and I think the, the the attraction of people like a Wayne Barnes or a Nigel Owens or these guys. I mean, what is it about this that attracts people? Does it does it does it take a certain personality? Are you looking for that when you're grooming and training these new refs? Are you looking for someone who can handle pressure? How does it actually
2: play out, in your opinion? Yeah. So just to answer Harry, your your first part of your question, I do like a challenge. You know, I I I think that's how you grow. Is you take on a a task, you you may be quite good at it. You know, I thought I was quite good as a referee in the beginning, but and my sort of I was quite cocky about it as well. But I think my growth mindset sort of saved me. That I was um, not not cocky and having a you know uh, putting myself out there it was more around like my my character being confident, but also then realizing, hang on, there's quite a bit to grow into here. And I must say, Super Rugby was was that part that allowed me to grow the most because I came over to Australasia and there was a different kind of context around what I needed to be doing as opposed to what I was doing in South Africa. So that, that, that was, very good for me as an example. And then also traveling around the world and meeting different cultures and different people, we can say whatever we want, but there is a different culture of expectation across with rugby across the world. Like everywhere you go, there's, there's slight nuances that, you know, is different. Um, in terms of the pressure. Uh, I think th- this is the one thing that I, that I, I don't know if I'm set on it, but I do think, there are individuals with more ice in their veins than others. That, that's that's how, that's what I feel. So like in a war, you'll have some people that are able to keep their head and others that'll start losing it. And I think that's why I said like, you know, you can train people as much as you want on Zoom. Um, but until you actually get out there and you're getting abused and you're able to just keep your head about you and carry on with your business and go from micro task to micro task in order to get the big picture of the game, right. Um, That takes a special kind of character, special kind of individual. So, so the certification and training does not necessarily get people over the line. And you spoke about Nigel and, and Wayne. So Wayne for me is a particularly bright man who used his intellect to be able to sell his decisions. Well, and I think still does that. I mean, he's probably coming to the end of the road, but I think he still does that pretty well. Um, and with Nigel, I think Nigel had the courage to allow a game to unfold and allow it to breathe. And so what you, what, you, yeah. what you saw with Nigel was that he was not always the most accurate referee. Like, I'm not sure that he always scored highly in terms of the marks, but in terms of what the public thought of him and what the, how the players yeah. trusted him, I think, I think he produced, like certainly from my perspective, produced one of the three of the 10 best games I've ever seen. And the games didn't happen by accident. I, th- I thought he played a very delicate hand in, in all three of them. Yeah, I think he created masterpieces.
1: The 2013 uh, All Blacks Springboks. It it flows. That from was that ability. was one. That was <laughs> one. It flows from his ability to say, "I'm creating a game for you. Now take it, you know, take advantage now. Francois Lowe is doing an offload, and and, and suddenly it takes life. And I was wondering about that. Uh, I think there's something beautiful in having different styles. I wouldn't want to watch a Nigel Owens match every single match. I like the idea of Wayne Barnes being so precise about uh, entry and side entry. It's interesting.
2: Yeah, uh, you know, I think that that South Africa All Blacks game. I'm not sure whether Nigel planned everything. I think he got knocked out halfway through the game, and that might <laughs> have contributed towards an outstanding game of rugby. He was heavy. He
1: was heavy breathing. I know that you could hear. It uh, I, th- I, th- I think.
2: I think he was at the bottom of a ruck and Scott ran over him, and then someone else from the All Blacks, and then he was. Where am I? And and the game the game was outstanding. Then I, one of the other ones that he did was All Blacks Island, where he held his nerve right till the end of the game. Um, the All Blacks ended up winning the game but I I just what I admired about him is that he didn't buckle to pressure from either side he was focused on what he wanted to deliver, made Mm. mistakes made mistakes but delivered consistency all the way through and because he had done it for uh, at that stage 50 odd test matches he had built up this reservoir of experience that this is probably going to happen in the game, these are the types of things that I've got to watch out for Uh, we're in the championship minutes now You know, so that type of thing, and I, I, you know, if I have to challenge the um, the referee group in world rugby, it's it it would be not be around the fact that um, they're not good referees. It's just more around the fact that a lot of things are process driven, and I think in my era, in my era, there were a lot of referees that had a good feel for the game, like a natural feel for the game, and we were allowed to make judgments on things a lot more than they're allowed to nowadays. Yeah.
0: And it feels like that, like that, the, the TMO is a classic example of the of the process driven uh, motivations. Now they're all saying the same things; they're saying it in the same order, and it feels like it's that's a deliberate thing to try and build some level of consistency. But of course, from 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 tier to tier, it's it's all very different. You know, at club level, the referee is is king. He's he's out there. He's the sole arbiter of the laws, but you know, as you go up, then the TMO becomes more involved and there starts being a different feel about the way games are refereed. Is there an argument, Jonathan, for keeping the TMO just for foul play like he, or, or, or looks at a try and the referee looks at a try, talks to his ARs, they make the decision on the field and then that's it?
2: Uh, I think that would be different from NRL. Um, stand to be corrected, but you put, you put things on report over there. I think um, I actually think the exact opposite of you. I think that the referee should be focused on on try scoring and point scoring. Uh, Sorry, not the referee, the TMO, where where they're able to best assist the referee, and I think as a result of that, you know, most of the point scoring will be fairly addressed. Yeah, right. Foul play, foul play is tricky. Um, it's really tricky. It's, it's not simple. You you see things and you, and you say, well, that's so obvious, but it's only because you've been alerted to it. In motion, sometimes the ref, the team has got a few seconds to sweep and have a look at something and then go, oh, that doesn't seem right. You know, when a player's down injured, that's different because he can rock and roll, mm-hmm. he can go slowly and have a look. But live, he's got a, a certain window to have a look. And then if it doesn't work out, he goes like, geez, I'm not sure. And just like the ARs, assistant referees, they've also been told, don't get involved if, you, if you're if you not sure. So that's when we leave it to the signing commissioners. We leave it to the judiciary and they sort it out. The misperception is that the big money being spent on TMO is going to solve all of rugby's problems and it doesn't. Yeah, that's certainly true. Certainly.
1: <clears throat> what what do you make of the... It seems like every year we have experimental laws or we have uh, something we test out. It sometimes is beta tested in, uh, you know... Um, in varsity cup or something, but it's, we, mm. we we kind of mess around, we tinker, like the fifty twenty two or they drop out from the holdup. Um, is this something you think we should continue doing, or should we try to stick for five years on something?
2: Uh, I see arguments both ways, Harry. You know, I, I i was I was part of the varsity cup. I was actually part of the original ELVs with uh, Ian Mack oh, and Rod the, the and Stellenbosch Rod, um, laws. Rod McQueen, yeah. So, And that was the beginning of tinkering and fiddling. I think one Mm. of the ones that came out of that was we're only going to give free kicks for scrum infringements. Yeah. And they tried it out in big games. And I think the net finding was that everywhere else people are getting penalized, but not at scrum. And so is that fair across the board? Um, Mm. Did it change the shape of the game where people didn't have to pick big, heavy, strong and could choose more mobile Players which then cluttered the field and made it more difficult to score because they were more mobile. Um, you know, I, I was, I, I do love varsity cup. I do think the the trialing of these new laws has been very beneficial. We we do a bit of an in M L R, so we we think we we're quite quite progressive. So we've, you know, if you score trying to the polls, you just go straight back to the halfway line. There's no conversion because they never miss. So why yeah, right. why, why would you? Yeah, why why would you have that? Why would you have that minute and a half? Uh, yeah, now I you mean,
1: now you just you got back like a minute and a half easy and you got back mm-hmm, a and minute also, and a half
2: for balling yeah. potentially for balling play. Yeah. yeah. We've got another one. Um, scrum off can't go through the middle line at Scrum. Uh, the reason is because it puts undue pressure on the eight. So eight can then pick and go without without harassment. And and so the attack looks slightly better as a you know yeah. off of that platform of the scrum gone quite well we've made gains of it you know there, there'll always be criticism and that's that's what you guys deal with more than I do you know I, we, we've we know that we've made gains in, in respect of all these little ELVs I mean the, the ELVs the, the law changes the one of the other ones that we did we only have a maximum of two scrums per per set so the referee must make a decision on one yeah, of those right. two yeah. select- more, more pressure on the ref, absolutely. I mean, so it's not a level playing field with everywhere else in the world. But you don't have the, the game clock chewed by something which the purists love, but the general public, which we're trying to make the game attractive in North America. And, and it's the same thing, by the way, in Sydney, you know, they put bums on seats. And, you know, you've got lots of competing codes. So it is important to make the game attractive. Mm. So the same in America. They've got, you know, all these traditional sports. So who who, who we trying to skim into the space? So it's not going to be the purist who loves that smashing into each other.
0: Yeah. So so on that, does it? So your original scrum. So you are allow one reset. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And and then from that decision, whatever it be, might be free kick, full arm. Is the scrum option available for them, or is it? Or yeah, no, move the game no. on. No. Yeah. Right. No.
2: So if you if, if you give a free kick or, or penalty at the first scrum. They can choose another scrum in lieu of that, but that, that's the last one. That's, that's that, the only get one scrum. That's it. That's really interesting.
1: That's really yeah, interesting. Yeah, because in the six nations, there was a reset sequence. I think it was actually about three or four minutes uh, at a critical part of the game. It, it actually took all the flow away. Yeah. It was a four yeah. minute re- a reset, five resets or something.
0: We're, yeah. seeing, we're seeing more and more of the scrums not there to restart the game. It's there to try
2: and win a penalty. Well, I mean, not to be critical of South Africa, because I'm, you know, I live in I live in Toronto, but I'll always have South African roots. If you look at the final of the Rugby World Cup in 19, South Africa won five first half scrum penalties. That's pretty definitive in the context of the game mm. because England could never get out their half. They couldn't build any momentum. They were always stuck in a in a facet where um, South Africa were dominant. You know, South Africa had big tall timber in the line out had this um, scrum that was going well on the day. So, you know, and then South Africa defended really well for a two and a half, three minute period, which kept England, England out. And that, that in essence was the ball game. You know, that that's the fact that South Africa had stayed in the fight up until minute 50, 55. And then like, you know, we're, we're still in front. So, I mean, I don't know if you remember, but England were quite strong favorites going into that, mm. to that final. So, you know, it wasn't so much the fact that England weren't as good. It was just that the game plan was successful.
1: Yeah. No, it's, but it's, those five strum from penalties were beautiful. So that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> <music> Ready on the
0: roar. Jonathan, we're, we're really keen to get your thoughts on the current guidelines around, around head contact. Um, and it seems that the guidelines start these days with, has head contact happened rather than how did it happen? And then we work backwards from there, you know, did it occur? Was it foul play? Was there force involved? And then we start talking about mitigation. Is is the guideline working, do you think, or, or will it ever work? And is and is it clear enough? Yeah,
2: look, I mean, I think we do have a societal responsibility to make sure that um, the people participating in the sport are safe. Um, and, and so that's why we are where we are. Right, it's it's not it's not by accident. I think the tricky part is that rugby is a contact sport, and sometimes players in that close contact situation lead with the head first. So, tuck the ball under one arm and yeah. run yes. with their head first. And it's very difficult sometimes for defenders to adjust. And I remember thinking at the 19 World Cup, there were some tackles where I, I thought like. What did you want? What did you want them to do? It was you know they didn't have a chance to adjust, which which they now cater for. So they've said, look, if they can't, you know, you've got to give the defence an opportunity to adjust. So if there's a dramatic drop in height all of a sudden, then there is some form of mitigation, which is fair enough. Uh, your question around whether whether we've solved the the world, the problems of the world, um, probably not. You know, this is quite new in the in the realm of rugby yeah and like i said it's a contact sport so it's very difficult for referees in the you know this game is played at 100 miles an hour it's very quick referee has to stand somewhere uh does get help from the tmo and the ars but you know the game is moving and it's constantly in motion and sometimes they don't get it right because it is generally around you know so what what you said is generally around has foul play occurred so the first thing is if it's just a rugby accident, then it, then foul play hasn't occurred, so you just get on with the game. If flop if foul play has occurred, so let's just say head contact, head head on head contacts, um, then you go through all those yeah. those points. So has foul play occurred? Yes, it has. What what's the severity? You know, coming from a distance, no one in their way, mitigation, mm. high speed, uh, low know, speed, yeah, all, all those things come into play, and then they make a decision. And just like everything else, you know, sometimes, rugby's not played. Is played played on a field with white lines. But there's not lines everywhere to help the referee, you know, to make sure that they get the right decision all the time. You know, it seems to me
1: that you have to always come back to, what on a Monday morning, what's the coach going to say to his players? And and uh, what's the actual tip coming from these uh, rulings? And I think it's, it's very difficult to say, uh, I need you to do X, Y, or Z, if it's not clear from the judiciary. And this is my problem right now is it seems like we don't know what the results gonna be. It should be more obvious that this is bad, this is medium, and this is not. Uh, sometimes it's a lottery, especially in Australia <laughs> recently. We've, we've, had, yeah. we've had things that reversed the red card that took it away. And it's, you know, I thought Gus in, in, in one of those cases did everything that he was supposed to do and then it gets reversed. And I'm wondering when you're on a training pitch, you know what are you telling your guys about these things it's difficult
2: yeah i mean you, you should you should see my calls to my, my team on a Monday Tuesday if you want to know what difficult it is i'm I'm speaking to 13 coaches six of which are always disgruntled so you know then I've got to listen to that my, my ears are like cauliflower after those after those calls and then I've got to chat to my referees and and try and be calm and, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, genial towards them. Uh, no, no, I mean, that's tongue-in-cheek. I, I, I can't cater for, you know, how coaches express themselves to their players. There is there is a little bit of, you know, I suppose, I think in every every part of rugby, there's a little bit of inconsistency. But maybe that's just the nature of the game. Is that, mm-hmm. That's what I was trying to say earlier. You, you have white lines on the side of the field, but you don't... Always have those white lines to help you when you need them. And, and so we, we do need to be a little bit mindful of that. I mean, that's also, you've got to temper expectation that we're ever going to be perfect. So just to jump so
1: somewhere, that actually, Jonathan, uh, you know, the world was was uh, ignited around the Rossi uh, review and uh, did, did he do this, did he do that? But I think one of the most curious things for the rugby fan. Was the review the actual this, yeah. this process? Uh, they go through how rigorous it is, um, to what extent. There's uh, you know mashup videos given to you guys in your position. Now you're in that chair. You know you're the seul Uh So how rigorous is it? How extensive? Uh, do you actually go through point by point? Is this something that people actually get on Mondays and Tuesdays?
2: Yeah, um, I think it's slightly different everywhere. I mean, I've, I've got I've got a feedback loop that that we use for for our MLR, MLR teams. They don't always use it, you know. Sometimes if a team's won, they just draw a line under the game and move on because they've got the points. Um, sometimes if a team's lost by a few points and they think there's a few decisions, they have their moan. I listen to the moan. Sometimes they're spot on. They're they've got it. They, they might raise fair points, and sometimes. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I, I have never had a team send me a, um, a run of clips where the referee benefited them. Never had that once, ever. <laughs> ever. I'm, I'm coming up for 40 years. I've never, ever had that. I've never had a team say, geez, that ref was really kind to us. He gave us seven yeah. decisions in our favor. But I hear those seven it hours. Happens. <laughs> yeah. But it happens. And it happens every game. There's always decisions which are on the borderline. You know, which way will the referee go here? So sometimes the referee has to make a decision. This time he sees a, he sees a, a simultaneous arrival at ruck. Yeah. So he'll allow the contest to happen because it's simultaneous. Other times he sees the defense arrive slightly after the offense has taken up that space. And now it's hands in, in the ruck. And it's... Yeah. You know, fine margins, small margins. Is it,
1: is um, there, is do you think there's an acceptable error rate, like a, like some kind of uh, rule of thumb, 20 errors, 25 material errors, or are we stuck with, like you said, with Nigel Owen? Sometimes the greatest games, I don't know if technically he got everything right, but, um, he didn't. did the, the fan, there was integrity to the game, it was not one sided.
2: Yeah. 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 Nigel had his fair share of bad decisions, had his fair share of bad games, but in my mind was, was an elite referee, one of the greatest ever. And and the the reason that I say that is obviously I'm I'm looking at rugby through my prism. So like how do I what's my what was my vision of the game? And my vision of the game is is that you let the players decide the outcome, you you um, give them free reign, get get them get them involved as much as possible, and and let them let them um, play you know, all the training that they do in, in the weeks leading up to the game, let them actually do it on, on match day. Because ultimately, if the more opportunities you create for them, the players, the more they'll appreciate you after the game. Whereas if you try and bring the game in, keep it tight, not make mistakes, then I think you're not serving the best interests of the game. Yeah,
0: Is, is there an avenue, do you think, Jonathan, <laughs> that, that if the broadcasters had more information about the process and the trigger words and all that sort of thing that it would actually negate a lot of the post-game criticism on a referee and and the broadcasters aren't there to be, you know, cheerleaders for the referee, but if they had a better understanding of the the workflows through a game, that would straight away mitigate a lot of criticism, surely.
2: Yeah. So what we did in South Africa, the Curry Cup is after the games, we used to front up at the post-match, Conference. Uh, oh wow! Yeah, and then there was a moderator. So there was a friend of mine called Paul Dobson, generally, and he used to moderate the questions. So if a question came in and it was too rough, he just just like, can you can you answer? Can you ask that differently? And so we used to give the reporters the information that they. Yeah, required. Right. And then, <clears throat> and then if they wanted to write whatever they wanted to write, which sometimes does happen. That's fine, but most of them took the information and said, "Look, the re- this is the referee's explanation. By law, is correct. This is what we think should have happened." And that way, you got people reporting on the game from different angles, which was great. Yeah. Um, I, what I prefer is using an expert as a conduit. And you know, the public's not stupid, and they there is a greater need, a greater thirst for information. Yeah, and so and so, what I feel is like if post match. You could give the public access to information around clips that were important in games. Yes, some referees would feel a bit of heat that these their decisions were being spoken about, but they're being spoken about in any case. Yes, you know yes, exactly. So all, all, all you'd all you'd be doing is saying, "Look, this ref is one of our best assets. He's actually left a, a reasonable game. This particular decision is not good. This is the reason why it's not good." You decide if you if you want to blame the ref for that team's loss as a result of that decision. That's your baby. Yeah. Um, that that way that way. To my way of thinking, you're getting collusion with with or not collusion. Mm. You get you're collaborating yeah. with the general public. You're including them in, um, in in what you call the workflow of the ref. You're including them in that workflow. So you go look. There were three key decisions in this game. Clearly, everyone knows about it. The first one um, shouldn't have been. Uh, should have been a try. Listen, um, this, this is the reason why. That's the ref. That's the law reference. Uh, this is a law error, and the referee got it wrong. So yeah. there isn't really an excuse. Then you may say, look, this is a tough call. The referee's got this wrong as well. It also led to a try, but it's it's very difficult to spot in real time, and a lot of the referees are are having difficulty with it. That notwithstanding, it is still an error. Yeah. And then you say this this uh, another high impact decision was a magnificent decision by the ref. He gave a penalty trial. Here you can see the guilty party, he's correctly given him a yellow card, and so he's done well over there. And do you understand where I'm coming from? Yeah, like, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That, yeah. that way, that way you'd be addressing the public concerns which they which are circulating yeah. in any case.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and and straight away you're turning the conversation around from being completely overwhelmingly one way into being yeah. a feed of information.
2: Yeah. The, the, all referees have had games. I mean, I remember Steve Walsh actually said this to me. He said, you know, the longer you stick around, the, the more you can have a target on your back. And sooner or yeah. later, someone's going to hit. Someone's going to go bullseye. And they, 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 that's just the nature of the beast. You're a human being. He's a human being the next one. Mm. And, you know, a, I made a I made a mistake in a Six Nations game, Ireland-Wales. Uh, I can't... You know, I can't move back on it because the, it was a it was a it was a bum call. Um, did it cost the team the game? Maybe it was in a close game. Mm. Could have could have cost the team the game. You know, it's it, 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 would I like to have had a TMO that could deal with that facet of the game? Yeah, sure. I think that error may have precipitated the debate for TMO mm.
1: in
2: in other areas of the field. So maybe you know, maybe there, there was some good came of it. Um, what people don't know is the, is the conversation that was had between referee and coach. After that game, I phoned the losing coach, and we're basically both we're very emotional about it, both of us, for, for different reasons, And but both respecting each other, yeah. you know, a, a, as you do in rugby. That's that's the one uh, value that, of this sport that is different from a lot of other sports that yeah. I've been exposed to is that, you know, there's a lot of smash on the field, but there's, there's a lot of love off it.
0: Yeah. In, in, those, in those moments, like, do you, do you know, realize or do you know you've made a mistake instantly or does it happen in a few minutes' time at the next ruck, at the next kick? Do you,
2: is, is it obvious straight away? Uh, I think in this particular one, I sort of knew, but I couldn't yeah. guess. So I tried to get information from my crew and nobody could help me. The TMO by yeah. protocol couldn't help. The far side AR hadn't seen much, anything. And the near side AR was the one that I asked this relevant question to, and he got it wrong. So yeah. I asked him a very specific question, he gave me the wrong answer, and I acted on that answer, unfortunately. Mm.
0: Yeah. But I was yeah.
2: complicit. I'm the I'm the leader of the of the team, so so it's my it's my bad. Um, but everyone, like I said, World Cup refs in World Cups um have made errors, you know. If the if the score blows out and it's 50-20. Sometimes those errors are not magnified. If the score is 17-16, you know, it's a big deal. Yeah. Uh, I know that, but I've I've been doing this for a long time. Uh, I I have great sympathy for players and coaches, spectators. I'm I'm one I feel like I'm one of them. So I I can wear a couple of hats at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And but but until we have a better system, until we actually have a system that works better than what we have, we've got to We've got to use it, you know. We've got we've got to just trust it. Yeah,
0: you're you're a you're a busy man, clearly, with three 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 young kids and referees dotted all over North America. What's and you still yeah. love the game, clearly. What's next for you?
2: Sleep probably. Uh, yeah, no, no, no. I mean, I think I think this is the last three years have been really difficult for me. I relocated, you know, I had these kids. There was a lot of pressure on me, and I felt it. Um, so I think health-wise, I just need that's that's my priority in the next few years is just to get my health a bit better than than it is. Um, I used to do a lot of marathon running. Yeah, it's it's like a labor of love for me. I mean, I think that's probably the right way to describe it. Done 132 marathons. Bloody hell! And it, <laughs> a, yeah, and might i did be a few tired ultras. just
0: listening to that, Jonathan. Yeah, <laughs> I, did, I did a, I'm not.
2: I'm not. am not. I'm not very athletic. I, I, you know, I'm. I'm happy to admit. <laughs> well I'm, I'm just a plotter you know i enjoy i enjoy the camaraderie mm. i enjoy being incognito you know i was i was um at the face of elite sport so i know what that feels like and i um, i'm now enjoying the other side of it so th- that that's that's one of my goals hey yeah. jonathan were you ever really smashed like a
1: really bad falcon did someone just ever just clean your clock
2: oh yeah no i've i've been i mean in my first first class game was the Mnet night series in 1991 i think uh Nico Vechner and Tian Strauss, that, that you wouldn't know them, Brett, but they were yeah, too big Yeah. Oh yeah, Tian Tian, you were yeah. Nico Wechner was about six foot eight. Um, I, I got I got I got into position too early and I didn't realize there were still people coming to join a clean out. <laughs> <And> so I, <laughs> I got absolutely mowed into the ground, run over. Um <laughs> And then pretended nothing had happened. You know, got up and pretended everything was fine. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was your moment to say there was
0: hands in the ruck because I could see them.
2: <laughs> yeah, wow. oh no, yeah, I was very close to it.
1: <laughs> just just oh. blow your whistle just to stop the game. <laughs> oh, yeah,
2: no, no, I've, I've got absolutely, I've got absolutely hammered. In fact, um, and it's in the book that you've got there, Harry. But I, I went into the last World Cup that I did in 2011 recovering from a scooter accident seven weeks before we had 35 stitches in my knee and tore my patella tendon, split it, like cleaved it. Goodness. So I I don't quite know how I got ready, but I did. There was a lot of people who were praying for me and I said like, you know, that's fine. If you, if that's going to get me over the line, that's good. I was doing exercises, (laughs) not literally in my sleep. Like I'd wake up, my subconscious was going mad. So I, I made it to the world cup and my knee was, was pretty good actually for, for, you know, the amount of time that I had to prepare. I got to the last game of the pool stages and I I remember Connor Murray broke around, the, the Irish scrum of Connor Murray broke around the back of the line out and Alessandro Zanni, um, the Italian flanker, Centurion flanker, he tackled him and his legs swung out and, and clipped mine and and mine went into the and I put my hand down to save myself and my shoulder subluxed and tore my bicep oh. tendon right off. <laughs> so, so I had this, and it, it's sublaxed So it went back in, yeah. Um, but the tendon was torn. It was severed, finished. So I, I remember thinking, "Geez, this doesn't feel good. It's like burning." Anyway, Ireland, Ireland won the game thirty-six-six, and. You know, it, it may have been as a result that I couldn't raise this hand for a penalty. <laughs>
0: that's, that's what I was going to say. Really? <laughs> Italian press no, just said Kaplan yeah. only refereed one way.
1: <laughs>
2: no try, no yeah.
1: try.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, fantastic! Look, Jonathan, I was I was so excited when when Harry dropped the bombshell on me that that he'd made contact with you, and even more so when uh, when we found out that you're willing to speak to us. We'd absolutely love to have you back on the podcast through the season if you're up for it. I'm absolutely sure our listeners would. Love the chance to, to, to leave us questions for you to,
2: for you to tackle. Um, could, we, could we do that? Can we come back to you through the year? Yeah. Um, um, if the viewers enjoy it, then I'm happy to contribute.
0: Thanks so much for your time. It's been an absolute oh, treat great. To, great. to speak with someone so highly regarded with the game, with the refereeing ranks, and who clearly just loves the game as much as we do. So, so thanks so much yeah. for your time.
2: Yeah, thanks for having Good.
0: me. I'm, I'm, yeah, it's great, great to talk. The Raw. Harry, absolutely fantastic to speak with Jonathan Kaplan. That was a, an absolute treat of a conversation. Um, so many highlights. What were your big takeaways?
1: Yeah, he's a, such a smart guy. I think you yeah. feel the intelligence. Um, he has that reffing personality, that reffing personality. Uh, he's uh, he's clear but open. I mean, he listens to it, but he actually says, oh, no, Britt, it's the opposite. And, uh, yes. and yes. Uh, it's, but it feels okay. You now, I will say I was a little bit, um, I felt like, I felt his authority and I actually felt like he had carved me. So I felt a little bit scared and shy and it didn't help that, uh, you know, listeners don't know this, but we had a set of questions and my, my friend Laidlaw just took all the good ones out of order. (laughs) And so I was like, I'm I'm going to be like, I I was like making up questions. I don't know what I was even talking about. And he's a lovely guy, Jonathan Kaplan. I threatened
0: uh, threatened to go rogue there for a minute, didn't I? (laughs)
1: Which is, which is, Listeners, it's not like Brett. He's very like, <laughs> on target. He's our play sheet guy. He draws up the X's yeah, and the O's. Just went completely off kilter. Flipping hell, I was like, yeah. first three, que- my favorite questions, gone. I was like, gone. oh. <laughs> so, Jonathan, are you the most amazing ref ever? <laughs> but, uh, and then, and then well, the one thing that really took away was how physical, um, yeah. the physicality of refing. I mean. My God, the travel, being wiped into a rock, uh, whipsawed by Connor Murray's legs, smashing a shoulder yeah. here, literally getting fed into a rock <laughs> in uh, was, one of his first matches by two enough. huge <laughs> corners, and just having to pretend that he was okay. Um, you know, yeah. he said Nigel Owen may have ref the greatest game in 2013 ever because he was unconscious. <laughs> like. <laughs> So um, uh, no, he was he was a wonderful guest. And I, know, I know you want to. I know you want to talk about the spreadsheet porn that we that gave us. <laughs> yeah,
0: point. I should. We it, it has it hasn't made the final cut, but Jonathan talked us through this master spreadsheet of his that has kept track of every game that he's refereed from high school level in South Africa to his very very last games of professional rugby, and it is just quite incredible. Had his. Who his ARs were, who his TMO was, what his assessor's name was, who his score was, and it's just—I mean, I like a spreadsheet, but this was just something else. It was—it was quite incredible, next, uh, it next was, level, it was and it was
1: genuinely next and level, it was, and it was color coded, and he had trends. I mean, actually, it's <laughs> yeah. IP. We—that's why we cannot show it. Yeah, we can't uh, talk about he, it. He, and he was so generous and gracious to show, mm. you know, like. If someone was scouting him, they would say, "Oh yeah, yeah." And yeah. so, yeah, you got. And, and what do you think about his description of Canberra fans?
0: <laughs> <laughs> what worryingly accurate <laughs> for, the, for the time? Because I mean, I think back to a couple of of Super Twelve finals back in the in the early two thousands. And look, I don't mind admitting that I was part of that crowd, and you know, the the good folk of Bundaberg certainly put out a good product, which was a good sponsor of Australian rugby at the time. And I was supporting Australian rugby. Um, so yeah, it probably was a bit hostile at Canberra Stadium for Jonathan back in the day, but he, he's still very clearly to me, he still loves the game very, very much. It's very clear that he's still very passionate about refereeing. He's passionate about wanting to improve the standards in, in major league rugby in the States. And I think that's just, Absolutely fantastic for for the game in the US and Canada to have someone of his ilk involved in officiating the game at the top level. That's it's incredible. It's it's a massive boost for them.
1: Absolutely. And one thing that the that the Yanks are doing very well is bringing women refs uh, yeah, much quicker into the top level. Um, there's a couple of people here that are actually getting Six Nations games from yep. the US, and that might be one pathway for them to to come into top level rugby
0: yeah absolutely and look we will be looking to touch base regularly with um with jonathan through the season he's open to the idea of taking questions and queries about laws in future chats as well so keep an, uh, an eye out for for a call out ahead of our next chat with him um we need to get top, on to the weekend Just, yeah, yeah great great guy really enjoyed the chat super rugby around seven mate we saw the crusaders edge out the highlanders in in christchurch mm. in what was a really entertaining game the Waratahs were too good for the, the Demdrua on the Gold Coast. Uh, the Blues gave the um, one a bit of a touch-up uh, in Auckland, and then the Reds and Brumbies played out another classic uh, in in uh, in Brisbane, albeit with a bit of a blowout score by by recent standards. And then, of course, uh, the Chiefs and um, and Hurricanes played out a one-point thriller uh, on Sunday in the in the rescheduled game from Round Five. What were what were standouts from the couple of games on the weekend?
1: It was all good fun. And I, I want to yeah. stop people talking about the cards um, <laughs> extinguishing the matches. They don't. Uh, no. The top two teams in the Australian uh, part of the field have the most cards. And they on the top. So let's stop it. Islanders who can barely score have no cards. So, you know, well, that well, on, well,
0: on that. So so seven cards yeah. in nine days, just in just, just mm. this little period gone, six of the teams with red cards won. So, yeah.
1: You know. So in the, in the Crusaders, I mean, it was interesting to watch the Crusaders scoreless for so long. However, the problem is that's how the Highlanders have been playing their matches. Yeah. They just don't score very much. No. Uh, by the way, the clean armpit boys need to grow some hair under their arms <laughs> so they can score. But funnily enough, you know, you look <laughs> at it. Um, I, was, I was thinking about, you know, all this manliness. Laidlaw, we were discussing how you could tackle Taniela Tupo, and mm. I calculated, and you said 14 of you mm. would stop Taniela Tupo. There's, did a new you know, way of,
0: there's a new way of doing it. Just stick a leg out.
1: <laughs> did you know that if you played rugby on the moon, that uh, your weight would actually be 16.5% of what it is now? That makes Tupo only 22 kilograms, and you're about, I think, fourteen kilograms. Yeah. So only yeah. two of you take to smash wet. him, dominate him, and probably get a red card of the moon. Mm. But uh, it be worth with it. With the uh, sorry about the lunar sea and the lunatic <laughs> uh, discussion there, but um, so maybe three <laughs> three lunar Ladlers ladle will take on uh, the three lunar ladles yeah, there. Right 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 the up. the the guy from Highlanders, Macalal, so Macaleo, Macaleo. that guy is even bigger than Hmm maybe he's massive he's massive yeah
0: let's um let's cast forward this weekend uh highlanders moana pacifica on friday night that's a rescheduled game from round five force rebels in perth and then on saturday hurricanes crusaders chiefs blues and drew brumbies and then tuesday there's a makeup game as well with the hurricanes playing moana pacifica what what's what are you what are you looking forward to there what's sticking out?
1: I mean, I feel like the comp is now diverging a little bit, like the Six mm. Nations did, right? About this time where you have the clearly better teams on yep. points differential. I mean, for instance, the Reds. Look at them; they're they're running like. Uh, I mean, this kid Bataya is running like the River Jordan. Mm. Um, he's he's the New Testament for now. Um, he's uh, he's actually running so much like uh, you know with freedom. So yep. I think the teams like the Reds, the Brumbies, are just skating clear. Yeah. Um now the, the Kiwi conference, if you will, is a little bit more murky because you have so many good teams that are attacking very well. Hurricanes are just one bounce away yeah. from having a very different record. I just don't know the experiment with 12 for Jordy Barrett, if that's the highest and best use for the raccoon. Um, but yeah, so one thing I'll take away is the play of the eights in this comp is unbelievable. Yeah,
0: it's been really I cool. mean you
1: have Artis Surveyor who's untackable, just give him the ball. Um but I mean really if you look at all the eights in the competition, you have uh, Peter Gus, you have um uh who's the other guy? You have we well, yeah, Will, Will, Will Harris, Will Harris, you've you got Harry, Harry Wilson, Harry Wilson, yeah, Pete Sandler. You have Henry's Henry Time So I'm looking yeah. at the eights and really enjoying the play because yeah. um, you know, it's just one of those times. And I shouldn't forget Rob Rudolph Valatini as well, you know, especially well, plays of the like an
0: eight, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, look, it's, it's, it's it's really inter- eight. It's interesting that you, you mentioned the, the the way the the table seems to be splitting right now. The top four teams have all only lost one game, and the bottom mm. four teams haven't won more than one. So there's there's three distinct yeah. camps yeah. At, at the moment. I and
1: think the Highlanders have to win, right, against the yes, Pacific. This do. is a must win already. Um,
0: if they drop if I, I they think... drop this game and and you couldn't rule it out, but if they drop this game. Then all of a sudden they're zero and six, the highest seven. I think zero and seven. You're yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It'll be seven straight losses, and that's. It's hard to see how they come back. I don't think five wins is going to be enough to qualify yeah. for, for for top eight no. even this year.
1: Yeah, and I think the Chiefs and the Blues might be the match of the round as well. Because yeah, yeah it could be. Could you be. know the, the Blues probably the marginally better team. Yeah, the they've Chiefs, won five straight. Chief- they're in.
0: They're in good form.
1: Yeah. Chiefs are very tough to
0: beat right now. Yeah, they certainly are. Uh, during the week, we had confirmation that Fergus Lee Warner from the Western Force will head overseas to Worcester next year, and yeah, I heard about this late last week. But confirmation earlier in the week that Ira Simone is leaving will leave the Brumbies and has joined will join French club Clermont uh, next year. Both confirming uh, for next season both confirming moves post Super Rugby Pacific over the last few days. Um, but, mate, that's where we better to leave it. Uh, that's the very special episode nine of the Raw Rugby Podcast done. You can find both Harry and I on the socials. And don't forget to have your say and leave your questions on the Raw when the new episode page lands. Uh, and don't forget to check out another week of Super Rugby Tipping, where after another tight round, it's all locked up, up top, in a three-way. Uh, the pod's on all the major platforms now. Like, follow, subscribe, do what you need to do to ensure the, uh, you see the new episode every time it drops. It's the Raw Rugby Podcast with me, Brett McKay, and Harry Jones every week on theraw.com.au, Australia's biggest sporting debate, the home of all your favourite rugby analysis and opinions. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in your ears next week. Come
1: play with us.